love the music that we've sung this morning. It reminds us of what Jesus does for us. There's not a person in history that's ever come into relationship with the Lord that didn't speak the name of Jesus. And Jesus changes our life when we do so. I'm going to invite you to take your Bible, if you will, and turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to pick back up in our journey through the Gospel of Luke. We took a little bit of a hiatus during the Christmas season, and over the last five Sundays, we have been looking at this theme of God with us. We know the name Emmanuel, which means Hebrew for God with us. And so we have learned, if we didn't know already, we have learned over the last five Sundays that God is with us. And it's always been his plan, it's always been his desire to dwell with humanity. He created us for that purpose, and even in the fall, he's been working and moving and stepping toward us. And that is seen in Jesus, it's seen in the church, and it will be seen one day when we are gathered in the new heaven and the new earth with the Lord for the rest of eternity. But God is with us, and that's good news. As we come to this passage that we're going to be in this morning, we see that We need God to be with us. We are going to see a very desperate situation and God moving in that desperation. Uh, Many of us might be in a desperate situation today. I don't know what's going on in your life or what is right around the corner in your life, but we find ourselves in desperate situations, even though the the vast majority of life, we could probably consider it's, it's normal, all right? It's just simple things, and all of a sudden something that's tragic happens, and we find ourselves in a desperate situation. Such is the case for a lady named Barbara. It was a simple Tuesday morning. She was going in for a normal routine surgery, a surgery that wasn't going to last a long time. There would be a, 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 obviously a period of recovery, but a simple, short period of recovery. And so that Tuesday morning, Barbara, her husband Kent, her daughter Holly, went to the hospital and got her checked in and uh, sat with her for a few moments. And then they, as always, a nurse calls the name. She goes back to the pre-op room and and uh, then Kent and Holly sat out there in the lobby and read the newspaper, talked to a few people, just waiting for the surgery to uh, begin and, and culminate and then for the time of recovery. And then they would join her and, and do what all of us do when we have loved ones in the hospital. And so Kent and Holly sat in the lobby that day and they read the paper and they looked at magazines and talked to a few individuals. And, and there was a lady that came through the lobby that morning. She worked at the hospital, worked on the other side of the hospital and usually didn't come to that side. But that particular morning, as she came to work, she needed to hit the ATM. And so she came to the lobby there. And when she saw Kent and Holly sitting, she began to talk with them in conversation. She was a friend of Barbara's niece. And so the family knew this young lady. She was a lab technician there in the hospital. What Kent and Holly didn't know about Susie was that morning when she woke up, she felt a very intense anger toward the Lord. She felt abandoned by the Lord. She had been dealing with an infertility issue, and, and this issue was causing physical pain in her body. And so she woke up this morning, she was not happy with the Lord for a lot of reasons. Well, about 10 a.m., the surgeon came into the waiting room there and talked with Kent and Holly and explained that everything went fine, that she would be in recovery for about 90 minutes, and then they could go back and see her. So Kent, knowing that there are some things that he had to get done, decided to run those errands while Holly stayed at the hospital. When Kent got back to the lobby there, the waiting room there, and he learned that Barbara had just been rushed back into surgery. 
told that the surgery would last just about 15 minutes. It was no big deal. Just needed to correct an issue. And those 15 minutes turned into five anxious hours. And that surgeon finally came back out and began to explain to Kent and Holly what had happened to Miss Barbara. He told them that in the first surgery, an artery had been just nicked by the surgeon. And she had lost a liter and a half of blood. In fact, even nearly died during those five hours. Throughout the night, the nurses continued to change Barbara's bandages. Her bleeding was not stopping. She was getting weaker and weaker. Kent and Holly were very troubled, as you might imagine, about her condition and what was happening and how she was declining. Many of their church friends had gathered with them and were sitting with them and praying with them. Barbara really needed a miracle in her life. Medical staff did not understand what was going on, therefore they didn't have a solution for her condition. The next morning, Susie, that friend of Barbara's niece who worked at the hospital, came by the room because she had heard that Miss Barbara was still there. She overheard some people in the hallways talking about her condition and the condition of the fact that her body was not, her blood was not clotting. And so she, in that moment, remembered years earlier how her friend, Barbara's niece, who was also a lab technician, on a day where things were very dry, boring, just began to run blood tests on themselves, on each other. And so she remembered that in that day, running that blood test on her friend, she learned that this friend had a rare blood condition. A condition that wouldn't allow or, or, or made it difficult for her body or her blood to clot. And so she ran to the lab. She pulled up the records of her friends. She was able to get in and see the blood work and the records of Barbara. Compared the two together and realized that there is enough similarity here that there could be a solution. She took, called the hematologist with the remedy. Once that remedy was administered, Barbara's hemorrhage hemorrhage began to slow down. Later that afternoon, Susie came by the room to check on Barbara. Barbara looked up and mumbled to the nurse that was in the room with her and said this, do you know who this is? This is the young lady who saved my life. You see, Susie had come to work that day or the day before angry and feeling like God had abandoned her since she was still unable to become pregnant, still battling the pain of the condition that she had. And yet God had providentially crossed her path with the, and her abilities with Barbara and her family twice in two days. He used her story and her abilities to be the answer to the desperate prayers that these people were praying on behalf of Barbara. Not only was she the answer and help for Barbara, but her information and what she uncovered led to the discovery that other family members also carried this rare genetic disorder. See, this entire situation reminded Susie of three things. It reminded her of the goodness of God. That God was good no matter what the situation your life may be in. God is good. It reminded her of God's grace. That he's working, he's, he's moving, and he's graciously doing so. And then thirdly, God's providence. His glorious providence that God can see things down the road that we cannot see. And God is moving in our lives when we don't understand it. He providentially is in control. And see, as desperate as she might have felt that day, because she could not and had not seen the answer to her and her husband's prayers, God in his grace loved Susie and was working on her behalf. And so she, wasn't, she couldn't do anything else but in that moment also believe 
that in God's goodness, in God's grace, and in God's providential timing, he might also open her womb. Desperate people. There's a lot of desperate people in the world today. Some of you sitting in here, maybe listening to us, watching us online this morning, those who will pop in and listen to this podcast in days ahead, you are in your own desperate situation. Desperate is how people feel. As we come to this passage this morning, this next story in the Gospel of Luke, we are seeing two desperate characters and the families who are involved, and they need a move of God. And so I want to invite you to join me as we begin reading in verse 40. We're going to read through the end of the chapter this morning. Luke says this, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and, and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. When he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. These verses that we've read contain two miracle stories that obviously reveal Jesus' power over those who are sick and those who are even dead. As we look at these verses here, this really completes what Luke has been laying out for us from verse 22 on through the end of chapter 8, this, this portrayal of Jesus' power over all things. We've seen that Jesus has power over the nature, or Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee, and the storm begins to blow, and it's rocking the boat, so much so that the disciples are despairing of life, fearing that they're going to die, and Jesus speaks a word in the storm ceases. We've seen that Jesus has power as it's portrayed there with the demoniac on the edge of the Sea of Galilee as they arrive on the other side and the man comes with legions of demons and Jesus speaks a word and the demons are gone. We've seen Jesus heal the sick and even now raise the dead. And so these present two stories are intimately associated with, with one another as this story of the woman with this hemorrhage is tucked in and sandwiched between the greater story or the first story of the resuscitation of Jairus's 
only daughter. It's interesting that Luke makes that connection. He makes that point. It brings some very familiar words because if you remember several weeks ago as we are in chapter 7, we also see that Jesus raised the only son of a widow woman there in the town of Nain. Luke's purpose in this section is to reveal to Theophilus, his main reader, it's also his purpose to reveal to us as the readers today that the Jesus in whom he had believed and the Jesus in whom we believe possesses all power and all authority. Do you believe that this morning? That the Jesus we have placed our faith in, the Jesus we're trusting to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all of our iniquity, the Jesus that we're trusting to take us from this life into the next is not a wimp Jesus. He is a Jesus who possesses all power and all authority. Jesus can save from all things those who call on his name. And so as we read this, it's obvious that the theme of these verses is that of faith. Jesus calls the religious man to faith. He calls the sick woman to faith. He calls you and I today to faith. See, through faith, the hemorrhaging woman was healed and could go away in peace, verse 48 tells us. It's through faith that Jairus, too, would believe and see his daughter brought back to life. Both of these situations, both of these stories, Jesus tells them and he tells us that if you believe... You will be well. Woman, because you have believed, all is well. The word that that Luke uses there is the Greek term sozo. It's the word that means to save or to bring back to life. We translate it in these verses in our English Bibles to be well, to be made well. And so this Greek term would have reminded the first readers of this gospel. And it should remind us today of what the word of God and the power of God does is it redeems and saves and makes people well. I'm reminded of what happens in Acts chapter 16 verse 31 where Paul is in Philippi and he's there in jail. and The earthquake happens and the Philippian jailer is about to thrust the sword through him because he fears everyone is gone. And Paul shares the gospel with him. And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be sozo. You will be saved, made well, brought into life, you and your household. So today, if you're desperate, you're in good company. Because we're reading the stories of two desperate individuals, two desperate families. And if we're honest this morning, all of us are desperate, or we have at least been desperate. And this is what I also know. If we're not desperate today, we will be desperate at some point in the near future. It's a fact of life. It's part of what it means to live in a fallen world. And yet God has not abandoned us to grope through this fallen world without hope and without strength and without help. No, the Bible tells us over and over again, like in Psalm 46.1, that the Lord is near us, that he is an ever-present help in our time of trouble. And so if we're desperate today, we've got an answer for the desperation. And his name is Jesus Christ. Are you desperate this morning? We've sang songs about our desperation. In those songs, we've sung about the hope that we have, and that hope is Jesus Christ. And so Luke here in this, his gospel calls us to faith, calls us to see Jesus as the answer for our trouble, and in our sense of desperation, to look to him. And so I want to share with you some realities that we learn from these verses. Here's the first thing I want you to see. 
Desperation is no respecter of persons. You see that in the text? Desperation is no respecter of persons. Luke gives us, as his first character in this account, this religious man by the name of Jairus, where he was, as Luke tells us, he was the ruler of the synagogue there in Capernaum. By all accounts, since he is a religious man and a Pharisee, a leader of this synagogue, he would have been a respectable and honorable man in the eyes of the people. It was understood that Jairus believed and followed God. I mean, he's a Jewish leader. He's a rabbi. He's teaching the word of God. And so he would have been believed and understood to be a man who followed the Lord. And so he was a man of substantial prestige. He was not just a commoner. He wasn't just a a day laborer. He was a man that was respectable within the community. And yet desperation touched his life because it touched his family. It's no respecter of persons. Jairus' daughter was the benefactor of her father's reputation and her care. As a 12-year-old girl, she was young. She was moving into some really exciting days in her life. She was right there on the precipice of becoming a full, full-fledged woman in her culture. Such the reader here would assume that the young girl is innocent and that nothing more than a loving, obedient daughter. And yet, what does the text tell us? For some reason... She had become deathly ill. On the other hand, Luke offers no details of this woman who's hemorrhaging, other than the fact that she has battled this condition for 12 years, which tells us that there is something major going on in her physical body. Her condition was so bad that Luke tells us she had spent everything on doctors, seeking a medical remedy for, <coughs> excuse me, for her healing. And so these two stories and The suffering that's included reminds us that desperation, it never plays favorites. Think about this. Being a Christian doesn't make you immune to sickness. Being a Christian, someone who follows God and and wants to love God and live for God, that never makes you immune to the effects of living in a fallen world. We're, We're not in a separate part of society that says no bad things happen to you because you follow Jesus. No, that's not the case. In fact, many times it might seem that Christians get the short end of the stick there. Sometimes that's our perspective. But desperation is no respecter of persons. Bad things happen to good people. Sickness comes to both the godly and the ungodly. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. Today, in every hospital in America, Christians and non-Christians are battling cancer. Go to St. Francis, go to St. Mary's, go to VCU, go to Chippingham. You're going to find Christians and non-Christians in there who are battling cancer. You're going to find Christians and non-Christians in the hospitals in America who are recovering from cardiac arrest. You're going to find Christians and non-Christians who are in the hospital recuperating after a major accident, followed by a major surgery. You're going to find Christians and non-Christians who are mourning the death of a loved one, even the death of a child. Why does those things happen? You see, the evils of this fallen world visit all of us. And so this morning, you might be struggling in the, in the aftermath of a broken marriage 
Uh, you might, as a believer, be struggling with the immediate loss of employment or uh, some sort of health crisis. Maybe your, your, your cross to bear, so to speak, is the fact that you have family members who've made poor decisions and you're kind of left in the wake of that. And you're wondering, why is this happening to me? Why am I experiencing this desperation? It's because desperation is no respecter of persons. It touches all of us. Whatever the cause, we should never think that it's not fair for us or it's something that should not come to us because it is part of living in a fallen world. Here's the good news about that. You know, I've been saying that gooder is good grammar when it comes to good preaching. What did we talk about last Sunday if you were here? New heaven and new earth. You know what will never touch you in that new heaven and new earth? Bad stuff. There will be no sickness, no crying, no weeping, no mourning, no death, none of those things. That's the hope we have. But in this life, on this side of eternity, we need to remember over and over again that desperation and the things that cause desperation in our life, they are no respect of a person. Because you have the banner of Jesus Christ over your life does not make you immune to the bad things that this world has to offer. It's the second thing that I want you to see this morning. As we understand that it's no respecter of persons, this desperation that we many times feel, we need to be reminded that desperation has a purpose behind it. You see, it causes us to seek a solution. It causes us to seek something out, to try to fix that or heal that brokenness that we feel. Earlier in chapter 8, we read that Jesus had left the shores of Capernaum to escape the crowds, and in the interval, he had calmed a raging storm. Remember that? He calms this storm. He delivers this man from the grasp of a legion of demons. That's the things that have been happened. And as now he's returned, this vast crowd had swarmed to the shore to greet him and to see what miracles he might do. Jesus steps off the boat. He begins to walk through this dangerous, jostling, noisy crowd of people. But in the midst of that, it was silence. The crowd is silenced for just a moment by a very extraordinary spectacle. The man named Jairus comes, begins to prostrate himself before the Lord Jesus. He's the ru ruler and leader of this synagogue. And now he is pleading with Jesus to come and to heal his dying daughter. What's going on here? Has Jairus all of a sudden become a follower of Jesus? Is Jairus a disciple? Has Jairus changed his perspective and understanding of who Jesus is? I don't believe so. I don't believe in this moment that there's any reason for us to think that Jairus now is being friendly toward the, to the Lord Jesus. No, who is Jesus to Jairus? Jesus is an outsider. Jesus had been accused of heresy by other synagogues. Even his previous ministry there in Capernaum, there along with the synagogue or in the synagogue, in Luke chapter 4, was highly controversial. So for this reason, we shouldn't suppose that Jairus had become a disciple of Christ or had become a man of faith, believe in the gospel. No, what's the deal here? Jairus is in a desperate situation. His only daughter, who's 12 years old, in the prime of her life, is on her deathbed. Any dads in here? Sentimental to the way he might feel as a dad? 
Absolutely. You'll do whatever you have to do to get healing to your dying daughter if you're found in that situation. So Jairus here more than likely had exhausted all other solutions, and he's heard that Jesus, the miracle worker, has returned. The man who had raised people from the dead, the man who had healed the blind and healed the lame and done all of these miracles earlier in Capernaum, now has returned, and Jairus hears the news, and what else is he left to do? I have no more options. Let's go see what this man from Nazareth might be able to do. It's not love for Christ that brings Jairus to Jesus. It's his love for his daughter. Likewise, the, man, the, the woman hemorrhaging from this blood condition had exhausted all of her resources. Luke makes that very clear. She spent all that she's had over 12 years seeking a remedy, seeking a solution. And so on this day, just like Jairus, Jesus is her only hope. She's exhausted all other avenues. She comes to Jesus. Why? Because like Jairus, she has heard that Jesus has returned. Jesus is the miracle worker. Jesus is the one who's healed others. And now, in my last ditch effort, I'm going to touch Jesus and to see if he too can help me. She doesn't come like Jairus does. She doesn't split the crowd and fall before Jesus. No, Why doesn't she do that? It's because in her culture and with her condition, she is unclean. She can't come before the crowd. She, was been, she would have been treated much like a leper in those days because her blood flow was unclean. Therefore, she cloaks herself. She comes to Jesus. She wants to be in anonymity. She's in the crowd, cloaked, and she just reaches out her hand, grabs maybe the end of his cloak, maybe the tassels from his cloak, and in that moment, she's healed by the Lord Jesus Christ. She's seeking a solution. A woman probably believed like others did in her day that simply touching the garment or perhaps even being in the shadow of a godly man would bring healing. And so as he passes, she does just that and she is healed. So two desperate individuals with two different stories and two different backgrounds are driven to seek solutions for their hurt. Here's what I want you to see. There's purpose in their hurt. Their brokenness put them on a quest for a solution. So these stories reveal to us that despair, listen to this, is commonly a prelude to grace. This morning, if you're desperate for God to do something in your life, that is a good place to be. Because desperation, despairing over something in your life, many times is a prelude to God's grace. Why? Because it causes you to seek a solution. It causes you to get on your knees. It causes you to get humble before the Lord and get your eyes fixed where they need to be so that God can do something in your life. It leads us to a third reality I want you to see this morning. Desperation ought to lead a person to faith in Jesus. The purpose in your hurt is not just to see a miracle. The purpose in your heart, in your hurt, is not just to, 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 to see your loved one or you even healed or put back together. The purpose in your hurt, your brokenness, is ultimately that you might look to Jesus and in Jesus find everything that you need. So when Jesus here, interestingly so, asked who touched him, think about what was going on in the heart and the mind of this woman. She had cloaked herself. She had 
blended in with the crowd. She was not in front of Jesus. She's behind Jesus or to the side of Jesus. She's just trying in her anonymity to reach out and to touch the hem of Jesus Christ so that she might be healed. And in that moment, she gets caught. Jesus exposes her before everyone. I'm sure that both she felt joy as well as fear. But what does Jesus do? You might think as a religious leader, as a rabbi, that he would scold her. How dare you, woman, touch me? How dare you, woman, who is unclean, ever put your filthy hands on me? But that's not what Jesus does at all. He says, woman, your faith has made you sozo, well, saved. Your faith has changed your life. Go in peace. That's what Jesus does. That's what he says to her in grace and in mercy. And so what do we know of this woman's faith? Have you ever thought about that as you're looking at this text? You've read through this passage surely many times. Have you ever wondered what was this woman's faith like? Here's what I think we know about it. Ignorant faith. And I don't mean that in a a real mean way at all. It was just ignorant faith. She, she didn't know any better. She, she's just, she knows Jesus can do something. She's done, he's done something for others. And so her in her ignorance believed God enough to do something. So here she comes to Jesus, and she's seeking a magical cure. As if Jesus is charged with healing to the point that if you just reached out and touched him, you're zapped with healing. That's the idea she goes into with. Her faith was uninformed. She didn't have a full understanding, a full complex or a, a composition of what faith meant to follow Jesus. It was merely superstitious. It was presumptuous. We could say it this way. It was imperfect faith. She didn't understand everything there is to read in the Bible. She didn't have many of the things that we would know today. And yet her faith, while it might have been ignorant and presumptuous and imperfect, it was a real faith. How do we know that? Because Jesus validates it. What's he say? Woman, your faith has made you well. Ignorant, presumptuous, imperfect, and yet it was a real authentic faith. Almost like a childlike faith as she looked to Jesus. That's this hemorrhaging woman who reaches up to take the cloak of the Lord Jesus and instantaneously is healed by him. What about Jairus though? Where's his faith? What do we know about him? I don't believe he's at the same place that the woman was. I don't believe believe he had a faith in Jesus. He's seeking Jesus out because he's healed others. He probably had his doubts, but hey, it wouldn't hurt to try, right? Wouldn't hurt to try this. I'm in a desperate situation. My little girl, my only girl, 12 years old, she's going to die if something doesn't happen. And so in a last-ditch effort, he comes to Jesus. So we don't want to fault him for that because desperation leads us to seek a solution. But it's not just to find a solution. It's to find the solution, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the man's going to get there. But at this point, he's not quite there. How do we know that? Because as Jesus is conversing with this woman who has touched him, news comes to Jairus that the little girl is dead. The servants say this, don't trouble the teacher any longer. Why? Because there's nothing can be done. She's dead. No heartbeat, no breath, no life. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. There's nothing he 
can do. Jesus hears the conversation and replies into that conversation and says, hey, hey, wait up, bud. Jairus, don't listen to them. I'm the resurrection and the life. If you will just believe me, Jairus, if you'll just look to me, then your little girl who is dead will rise again. Jairus, do you believe that? Jairus, do you, are you looking to me? Do you have faith in me? And so they go to the home, and as they entered his house, the people begin to mock because this is something that no one would believe. No one would understand. The, the idea that someone who is dead could be brought up to life again is foreign to all of us. And so they mock. And yet Jesus says, hey, Peter, John, James, you come with me. Jairus, bring your wife. Let's go see this young girl. She's not dead. She's sleeping. Is she dead? Absolutely, she's dead. But from God's perspective, he's going to raise her from the dead, right? It's just a momentary thing. He's going to resuscitate her life. She's going to experience new life again. And so in this incident, what we see here is that Jairus, as well as you and I, that Jesus can save all of us from the things that are causing desperation in our life, all we have to do is call upon his name. All we have to do is look to him. So faith is the theme here. Through faith, this hemorrhaging woman was healed and could go away in peace. She is made whole because of faith in Jesus. Jairus, too, if he would believe, would see his daughter brought back to life. So this woman's ignorant and imperfect faith, what did it do? It saved her. Jairus, looking To Jesus, even with a micro faith, sees a daughter that's brought back to life. I said earlier that I don't believe early on in this story that he's coming to Jesus because he's believing on Jesus. No, that's where the woman is. But when Jesus says, if you will believe, your daughter will be healed, what happens? She comes back to life. What does that tell us? That at some point in that process, because he went with Jesus to the home, there was a micro level of faith in Jairus. But what does the Lord tell us about faith? How much faith does it take to move a mountain? The size of a mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? Tiny, almost microscopic. I mean, you don't have to put it underneath the microscope, but it is little. But it ain't like planting a bean seed or a corn seed or, or, or planting a, a nut of some sort. No, it's little bitty. And yet that little bitty mi- mustard seed will grow up into a large tree. What happens with faith is if we will just believe just a little bit with the Lord, he will take that and do something extraordinary in our lives. That's what he does in salvation. He takes little faith and makes a big change. So this morning, are you desperate? Jairus and this woman who had this hemorrhage were both desperate. Barbara and Kent and Holly were desperate in that situation with Barbara and her surgical malpractice. Equally so, Susie. She's struggling with where she's at physically and where her and her husband are at in their desire to have a family and to have children of their own and, and, and the, the own, her own pain that's coming from her condition. and She's been praying and asking the Lord and yet there seems to be no change. And, and yet in this desperate situation, God takes her life and crosses her path with these other people in their desperate situation. And it's very similar to what we see with these two men, Jairus, or two people, Jairus and this woman who had this hemorrhage for so long. 
God steps in in the midst of their lives and changes everything. And today we know that desperation is how so many people feel today. Many of you probably feel desperate about something in your life. You're struggling because a family member or a health issue or a financial issue or who knows what it is. The, 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 the issues out there are plethora, right? There's all kinds of things that we could get worked up and are worked up over. And yet, desperate situations call us, not necessarily desperate times. They ought to call us to the Lord Jesus. They ought to lead us and move us to seek a solution, and that solution is found in him. Because what we understand is desperation is no respecter of persons. It comes to all of us. Desperation causes us to seek a solution. There's purpose in our brokenness. Many times as we share in the gospel, we try to teach you as a church, as you're sharing the gospel, talk about God's design for a person's life, but how sin has broken that. But even in that brokenness, what do we talk about? God uses that brokenness to spur us to seek a solution. Many times that spurring on, we're chasing everything in this world to try to fit or try to uh, feel that hole and that space in our life. We fill it with alcohol and drugs and relationship and money and sex and, and anything this world has to offer. But even in that, we feel that we're still broken. We're still empty. There's something else. And that's where the beauty of the gospel comes in. Jesus is the only one who can feel the broken spaces and to heal the broken spaces of our life. So let our desperation lead us to faith in the Lord Jesus physically spiritually. Are you desperate? This morning, if you're desperate, I'm going to call you to seek out Jesus. I'm going to call you to seek him to be your solution. What do we know about the Lord? We know he's available. We know we don't have to call and get on his schedule. We don't have to, to reach out and say, Lord Jesus, when you get time or if you get around to it. No, today the Lord is ready and the Lord is available. It's okay to come like the hemorrhaging woman with an ignorant faith or an incomplete faith. Even if you don't think Jesus sees you in your situation, I want to encourage you to come to him just like this woman does. You think your problem is too small or perhaps you think your problem is too big. Come to Jesus and let him show you that no problem is too small, no problem is too big. Our Lord welcomes each and every one of us. Perhaps this morning you're more like Jairus is. It's okay that your initial reason for seeking out Jesus is because you love someone or you're just seeking a solution for a desperate situation. But I want to encourage you and call you to find the solution in Jesus. Put your faith there. The Lord is always stepping toward us, which means when we feel like we need him the most, he is that much more closer. He's stepping in to our desperation. He's good. He's gracious. And the brokenness that we feel, the brokenness that we experience, he uses to lead us to understand he's the solution, knowing that he alone can fix the problem, fix the whole, and he fixes it with himself. Today, I believe there's some people here who need to turn from their sin, need to turn to Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's what you need in your life today. You need him to change you from the inside out. You see, your greatest need is spiritual, not necessarily physical. And so what would the text call us to this morning? It would call us to the same thing as those who have a physical need. Find sozo, find salvation 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him forgive you of your sins. Let him clean the wickedness from your heart. Let him change you from the old life and give you a new life. Let him change you from your destiny, your trajectory, moving toward a devil's hell, and instead moving toward the heaven that is inundated with the presence of God. This morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're dealing with your own physical or, or, or worldly situation of desperation, I would call you, just like these two individuals, to come to the Lord Jesus and ask him and beseech him to step into that space and trust him for the healing. It might be instantaneous, just like these two people. Wouldn't it be great that every time we came to the Lord, it just immediately, cancer's gone. Blindness is no more. You can't get up, walk. All of a sudden, like in John 9, you are walking in, or, or other place, I guess, this blind guy in John 9, but instantaneously you are healed. Wouldn't it be wonderful? That's the way the Lord always works. But that's not the reality that we live in. But he can do that. Many times he does do that. Sometimes it takes a while, right? You get an addiction in your life. You would love for the Lord to take that from you. But many times he doesn't. But if you will follow him, he will little by little take that from you right? He'll walk with you step for step as you walk out of that sin, as you put off those things that are worldly and ungodly, and you put on the things that are holy and righteous and good. What's your desperation this morning? We're going to move into a time of response, and I'm going to encourage you to respond. What is it? I'm going to encourage you to come forward. I'm going to encourage you to get here and and just lay all these steps to be an altar. And you just bear your heart before the Lord. If you want somebody to pray with you, myself and our elders and our staff are going to be here to pray with you this morning. If you need to give your life to Jesus this morning, you come. The second Sunday of the year. I can't think of a better thing, better way to start the year off than allowing Jesus to change your life physically and spiritually. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being good to us. Stories we read here in this passage that we've been looking at, the story of Jairus and the story of this woman who had this physical condition, that is a story of many of us in this room. We can concur with Barbara's situation and Susie's situation and and how there just seemed to be such a desperate condition there that we many times don't know what to do. And yet, as we read in the Old Testament, our eyes in that moment begin to look up. We look to you. I pray this morning that whatever is heavy on our hearts today, whatever's weighing us down, that we would bring our concerns and our cares and our burdens and our desperation, and we would lay them at the foot of the cross, knowing that you care for us, knowing that you are looking out for our good, knowing that you desire to work in us. Lord, this morning, may this be a healing time for us as a people. Father, I pray for those who need a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I pray for the man who's been wrestling with us for some time. 
That over and over again, this man feels the Spirit of God drawing him to Jesus and drawing him to confess his sin and drawing him to express faith in Jesus. God, may this morning be the day that he says, enough is enough. I surrender. I bow my knee. May that be true of women and children this morning, teenagers. God, that we would be willing to call on you in faith. Would you bless us today? Thank you for caring. Thank you for loving us. Now help us, Lord, to respond in faith and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.